What's up, guys? Welcome to Roaring Podcast, where we interview experts in tech and product management, providing insights and tips on how to digitize and automate your business processes. My name is Jesper Kask, and I'm your host. In this episode, we dive into the unknown, discussing innovation with Noelia Almanza. Noelia is the former head of innovation of companies like Dr.se and Falk, and also former COO of Novelty Quest. We talk about making innovation an integral part of your business, a strategic innovation framework, and why innovation theater is so common in companies. Let's dive right in. Okay, so welcome, Noelia. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Really nice to be here. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, yeah. We had some, some issues getting going and uh, some scheduling problems. Uh, but it's great to have you here, like I said. And, and the topic today is innovation, which is uh, close to your heart, obviously. Uh, tell yeah. us a bit about yourself and what you love the most about working with innovation. So my background lies with innovation. I've been working with innovation since 2001, uh, both internationally and nationally within Sweden, but mainly throughout Europe as well. I've been um, engaging in, as the head of innovation for Europe's second largest healthcare and health tech company within the telemedicine. I've been an innovation manager for uh, Falk Emergency, uh, trying to make the emergency care in Europe and in the US also blooming. Um, that's mainly uh, where I have been focusing within life science and healthcare. Um, the past few years, I've been, you know, stepping out of my own comfort zone, engaging in the gaming industry and also in banking and insurance. And um, that's that's mainly where I have been during the past 21 years. Yeah. And what do you love the most about working with innovation? I would say that, you know, always getting new learnings, working with the unknown unknowns is something that's really rewarding in terms of what you, you know, get you to learn on, on a regular basis. And you get to meet new people, new contexts, uh, learning new industries, new tech, and all of these kinds of things, which I think is very enriching. And for those who don't know, uh, what does an innovation manager or head of innovation do at a company? It really depends on the company and what the needs do this company have. I mean, as a head of innovation, you could be engaging in everything from top management like C-suite or setting the strategy for the innovation work to come over the coming three years. Uh, it can also be about enabling um, innovation to happen within the organization. Uh, I would say that that's by far the most important thing that you do as an, a responsible person for innovation within a company is to enable the actual outputs to be real uh, because you very you can very easily get caught up in, you know, measuring everything and be very sure about where you put your money. And also I've had a question before when I was the head of innovation, why do we have a head of innovation? Aren't we supposed to do all of the innovation work? And that's exactly, you know, the picture that I'm trying to paint here that if you're the head of innovation, you're just going to make sure that innovation is going to be happening within the organization. You're not going to do the innovation work yourself. You're not going to be the super creative person because, you know, people in the organization does know about the industry the best themselves. And working for more than two decades now with innovation, what's the best innovation advice you've ever received? I would say the best innovation advice I've received lies within the past two years when I got to know um, Dr. Ralph Christian Orr from Switzerland. 
he has this dual innovation framework, which is more or less for me, it has been serving as making things more concrete uh, on how I see an organization should be working and taking on the innovation efforts, having the ambidextrous configuration in the organization, which allows you to have both the more explorative units uh, where you just, this is kind of <laughs> rallying, I would say, but you just give them a bunch of money and you measure the outputs because nine out of 10 different projects might be failing, but the 10th project, which is going to be successful, is going to pay for all of this. Whilst you have this more uh, exploitational uh, business units, which is core business, it's the day-to-day -day operations, where you have your OKRs, KPIs, you measure everything that you do to know that you're you know, successful on the short term. And overall, over this, you have this vision about where you would like to be, um, <clears throat> a shared vision for, you know, maybe we should look into this kind of area, but you will never be seeing an organization setting the explorative units like we should be here, we should be doing this because then you're you're going to be missing out on the whole market, I would say, if you're just, you know, looking into the segment. Because working with um, the unknowns, you will never really know where you will end up in the future. So that's that's mainly the big difference. And that's why I think it's good to have a separate um, explorative unit and the exploita exploitative unit. But the far most important thing is to have the third playing field in between, which is called the incumbents advantage, which is sort of the field where you scale up, you modify the new findings and the new products, if it is products, into the already existing business units. Um, so they will have a spin-off effect within that one. Sometimes you can find organizations not really finding the right ways forward, but they have a great product. So this is where you can see corporate spin-offs taking place or organizations having other companies being unfolded and you know you invest in them to have them you know growing and maybe specializing in some certain area super uh, and you received a lot of attention for an article which was published in in sifted last year using the phrase innovation theater to explain a phenomenon which is a huge challenge and problem in companies uh, could you explain what that means and how this phenomenon is is, is a problem yeah, so the article that you're mentioning was something that I would never have expected to happen to me. There is this person, Sarah Nielsen in Denmark, who has been writing about innovation theater since before. So it's kind of an established uh, concept. And he has stated in this book that innovation theater can be very fatal to a company if you're just talking about innovation and nothing really happens within the organization. You might hire innovation managers, chief innovation managers, chief innovation officers, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But nothing really happens within the company, and and mainly, you know, the reasons to this can be a lot of different reasons. But the main point here is that if you're not engaging fully and entirely to the innovation, and you're engaging, you know, the entire C-suite, or if you're not able to get innovation happen on the floor in the organization, that can really costs you a lot. You might be spending a lot of money to getting innovation to happen, but it doesn't happen. So you might be talking about innovation to your customers as that's something that's core to your business, but you might be just engaging in linear product development as an example. 
So what I did, I, I took this very much to myself when I read about it. And then I, I said that, you know, innovation theater is not only lethal to companies and organizations. It can also be super dangerous to the innovation managers because as an innovation manager, you will be finding yourself uh, with your personal brand. You're there to do something. But if you're not enabled from the executive board, or if you're not enabled from your closest managers, like the CEO or the group CIO, it might be, then you're not, you're going to be there. You're going to be the head of innovation, but you can't do anything about it. So that's when it you know, becomes so critical for you as an innovation manager to actually be able to drive innovation efforts, initiatives, to have something coming out of it. Uh, because if you don't have any inputs, you're not going to have no outputs either. And that's that's something that I was talking about in this article and how hard it has been to get this to happen, especially in the more regulated industries such as healthcare, life science, banking and insurance, as an example, where a lot can be fined to be at stake. Um, so it becomes hard to actually invest into the innovation efforts uh, that you want to be driving because you've seen something or you know um, the streams from a particular market or something like that. And what happened uh, when this article in Sifted magazine was published was that I gained a global response to it. I had people calling from New Zealand, from Australia, from Singapore, all the way to Peru on the other side of the world. Um, I was talking to Ford X innovation manager. I was talking to Siemens, uh, general director for the energy part. I was talking to so many different people and all of the people were expressing their same frustration. So this is not an uncommon thing uh, within the innovation world throughout the entire globe. Um, and we are all so aligned on that. This, this is a real threat to us as innovation managers. It's important to make sure that you as an innovation manager also gets acknowledged for your profession because it's not easy. M most of the persons engaging as innovation managers within an organization comes from within the organization or from another organization, having a lot of experience and insights from a vast amount of different industries. And they've seen a lot. They've seen many things that hasn't been working out and they have seen many things that have been working out. So taking this mixture and putting it, putting it into an organization can actually be something that's going to save you. And you have to have faith in them. You have to believe in them. But up until today, there is not really um, an academic degree for innovation managers. And this article that I was talking about actually states that if we can get a more structured way that we look upon the innovation managers, and that they have a formal degree in some way, a diploma or whatever, that's going to create sort of a market benchmark on what an innovation is supposed to know, supposed to do, and all of these kinds of things. And that's when the ISO standard 56,000 comes into play. So that's a very good framework for how to manage innovation. It spans from innovation maturity indexing within an organization and also how to configure the innovation efforts or projects funnels and how to measure the inputs and outputs in, in some way. And obviously this, uh, this message in the article resonated with a lot of people in the industry, like you mentioned. And, uh, but what change is required in order to, to fix the problem of innovation theater? I would say that the most important thing to make innovation happen and to have this 
acknowledgement as an innovation manager because you're actually hired to do something in an organization. But it's weird that so many company boards and executives, they will go on and hire you, but they won't be enabling you to do what you're there to do. This is also the most important thing I would say to have innovation actually happening within the organization is to get the company executive board to understand the how to do innovation. And that's on the innovation manager's side, I would say. But you get to ask them, why am I here as an innovation manager? Why did you hire me? What am I here to do? To get them to answer this question on their own. They need to understand that there is a sense of urgency here because when I was talking to an international and super global company in so many different industries, but from within firefighting, emergency care, security, they were talking about, yeah, we can't really work with innovation because we need to focus on the core business. That's one thing. And we need also as a company to make sure how to stay competitive on the market for the future. And that's where I usually you know, ask the, the company executives, like, wouldn't you say that your right of existence in the market should be part of the core business? Or wouldn't you say that that's one of the tools to stay relevant on the market, to be there in the future? This is very provocative, I found out. But it's very fun to ask this question because I know that a lot of company knows that this is the right way forward. But then again, it's going to be about to dare to drive innovation forward and use innovation as a tool. Innovation is not a thing. Innovation is a tool to find you know, the right ways forward in, in, into the future. And how do you create a, an organization looking beyond the, the sort of acknowledgement of innovation managers and what they're supposed to do and, and giving them the tools to do their work properly? How do you create an organization where innovation becomes an integral part of the business uh, on a long-term sustainable, in a long-term sustainable way? I would say that if we take Sweden as an example and the more public sector, I would say that one of the most important things is to go from where you look at innovation as a thing or, you know, as a product itself. Like we're doing innovation. Look at this business unit. It's all about innovation, right? So it, as you're stating yourself, it needs to become more an integrated thing within the organization. And, and that's why I think that the ISO standard, as an example, is going to be very helpful because it has the structure. It resonates very well with the, the other management systems from the ISO standards. And um, let's say that you're a manager in a public organization. You're funded by taxes. And if you are not successful, you're going to be seen as someone who just wasted a lot of tax money on something that didn't become nothing. But if we instead can twist this around to see that innovation is actually a tool to try to make things better and that you also get learnings from, you know, even failures, that's when I think that innovation is not going to see be seen as as sort of a threat to the organization or a waste of money. Instead, it's going to be seen upon, you know, it's an effort to to gain knowledge, to gain uh, traction on whatever you are, you know, investing in. I can also share with you that I was once on a conference held by uh, Sweden's contingency agency, MSB. Uh, on that conference, there was, you know, forums for innovation and how to drive innovation forward. And one of the things that in a panel talk came up, actually the same question that you asked me. And people are so afraid of, you know, having these uh, uh, failures within the organization, especially when you are a tax-funded organization. 
So I just, you know, super provocatively, because I am quite provocative, I just asked, um, I think it was Vinova's uh, director general and some other hotshots. I asked him like, but then if we're so afraid of failure, why don't we goal set and use, you know, OKRs or KPIs? Like we should fail eight out of 10 different projects. And then at the end of the year, when you go back and see like, yeah, we failed eight times out of 10. So we actually, we need to ask ourselves the question, did we fail or did we actually learn something and, and reach our goals? And this was not really received in a good way, but I have to say this was back in 2018 or 2019. Uh, a lot of things has happened since then, but this you know, shows super clearly on why innovation can sometimes be perceived as, some, as a threat to an organization, especially when we have uh, the blame culture. Hmm. And and one of the things I wanted to ask you about that we're seeing, we we have a lot of customers in in banking and finance, for example, and a lot of the the especially the banks are struggling with providing these sort of new intuitive digital customer journeys and and really innovating. Uh, is that mainly do you think because of legacy and and uh, the structure of the of the companies? If we're talking about insurance and banking, I would say that um, it's a heavily um, legacy-driven uh, industry, to say the least. If you just compare them to the fintech sector, there's a huge difference. And and if you're working as a company towards this this kind of industry and having both of these worlds, like the fintech world and the more traditional banking world, you can see the the, the very tremendous difference between these. And when you are working in this industry, you need to understand this and you need to you know, get to the root of the issues, why companies are so uh, driven by legacy. And I think that one of the answers to that is that the lawmakers and the regulations from within that industry hasn't changed a lot over the past 10, 15, 20 years, which also makes it hard for the organizations themselves to provoke this kind of change because it's it can many times be connected to, you know, fines and, and, and a lot of money that you have to pay for, you know, breaking uh, some laws or, you know, crushing some rules. And I think this is also um, hindering them from proceeding with what they would like to do. You have other regulations such as the GDPR, if we're talking about Europe or HIPAA, if you're talking about the states and anti-money laundering, you have to have your, you know, your customer thing. and it's hard to innovate on those kinds of things. That's when I think that you, as an, you know, if you're a private banking company or if you're just a normal bank, you have to see the customer side of it. Where could the customers be benefiting the most? And you know, try to put your efforts mainly there. If you have um, optimization as as something that you want to achieve, then how could you use innovation on the more? How could I put it? Like the back end side of or the back office side of, of the applications, for an example, so that the customer doesn't have to do uh, all the work him her, or themselves. Uh, having said that, we also, sh we have to remember that innovating on a tech product is not only about innovating the tech product itself, but it's it can be about the processes around it. It can be about the process on how you manage your day-to-day um, -day banking uh, Errands. It can be so many things where you can be innovating and making it so much easier 
for the users. You don't have to have, you know, the latest technology. It can be a good thing to have the latest technology because it's going to make it easier. But if you're looking into automation or AI or, you know, new ways in using already existing technology, this is where innovation actually it has the biggest impact if you take already known about technology and implement it to somewhere new where it's not been really used before. And that's where you create new values. And that's how you can say that you're, you know, actually <laughs> successing in, in, in contributing to the innovation within the company. Mm. And uh, we see a lot of banks, if we sort of stick to them uh, for now, uh, we see a lot of them either uh, acquiring new sort of fintech startups or creating innovation hubs uh, within the company or new companies um, outside of the, the bank itself to sort of get past this innovation issues. Um, in your opinion, what's the best way to go? I would say that uh, when you are setting the innovation strategy, you need to have at least figure out different ways forward in your innovation efforts. If you're not able to drive innovation efforts yourself as a company, mergers and acquisitions is the very by far best way forward in achieving innovation, achieving or merging with new capabilities, new mindsets, even new technology. And then if you implement it into your, as we were talking about, that would be more of the exploration units, but you will implement it into your day-to-day -day core business operations. That's that's a very, very good way forward. So I, I'm just so much pro that because that's how you can also know that you're investing into something that's already working, right? Uh, it's already proven to work because, you know, the company is most of the time a very successful company, especially within the tech industry. And that's why I think that we can see so many mergers at the moment and acquisitions. Mm. And how much is innovation... Uh cultural thing in your opinion 100 percent, i would say that's a straight up answer uh because it's going to be boiling down to you know the mindset of the people within the organization um connecting back to what i was recently talking about like the punishment culture in the company if you don't have that and if you see every mistake every failure as an actual success you're going to be seeing yourselves moving slightly further and further into this new culture where you can see innovation um, as an enabler, you're going to get a higher level of creativity in the company. People are going to find themselves to have a higher uh, psychological safety kind of uh, experience within the company. And you have to know that everything that you do, that counts for something. It's the things that you don't do in the company that are, you know, fatal, I would say. Um, and if you are able to, as a company, allow this to happen, you're going to be successful. And this is the culture. Hmm. And what's your best tip to companies looking to get going with a strategic focus on innovation? I would say that you as a company, you should have a clear vision on where you would like to be um, the coming years in the market, how relevant you would be and in more or less if you're going to turn into a tech company, which most of the companies are doing today, or if you're just going to be focusing on one area where you would like to become the number one. Um, 
having said this, I think the strategic mindset here would be like, uh, are we going to be a vertical company or are we going to be all over the place, right? And then to have the strategic planning to the innovation is to not measure it too much, uh, just benchmark it to your vision. Does this correlate to the vision that we have and where we want to stand? This might sound very contraintuitive because you, you as a company and a management board and, you know, owner for a company, you would like to, you know, work with the knowns and also being able to track this. And this is where the dual innovation framework comes in very handy, where you can resource allocate in a total different way, having these explorative units and having the exploitation units separated and having this third playing field in between where you can scale up, scale in, modify. So everything that you find out in the explorative units become something that you actually can can be using within the exploitation unit and your core business day-to-day work. Well, super. Uh, that's it for today. And, and uh, I really appreciate having you on, Noelia. It was great, uh, great talking to you. It was really great. Thank you so much for inviting me here. You've been listening to an episode of a Roaring Podcast by Roaring.io. Feel free to share it with your friend, colleague, or peer if you liked it. If you wish to stay connected to us, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.